to be reminded of Psalm 23. Good, surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's a promise that God makes to us, and that's a confession he would have us correspondingly make individually and as a congregation. So let's take every opportunity throughout the course of life to do that and give God praise as we remember that wonderful promise of the gospel congregation. Well, let's turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So maybe just a quick backstory on the sermon and the passage. This sermon, I don't save too many sermons. I keep some on hand for pulpit supply opportunities. But this sermon is all the way from February of last year. I saved it because uh, originally I had preached it in connection with the Lord's Supper. And as it turns out, you're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper next week. So it will be a old school Dutch reform style preparatory sermon for the coming Sunday and the administration of the Lord's Supper. So we'll tie things together that way. So here it is, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, Encourage one another with these words. So it is in 1 Thessalonians 4. Well, let's pray, shall we? Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for its reading and for its having been heard attentively. And now we pray, Lord, for uh, a rich blessing upon a simple ministry of your word. That we might not only be fed in the hour, but it might fortify us, O oh God, in the week that lies ahead as we anticipate eating and drinking together in remembrance of Jesus Christ our Lord. So hear us and give us what we need and bless your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, what will it be like when Jesus returns? How will things unfold on that day? What will the sights and the sounds be like? And how will those who have already died in the Lord, who have fallen asleep in Jesus, how will they experience that day? And what about those of us who are alive and remain on earth when he returns? How will the return of Christ be experienced by us? Well, you know what? Those are some of the questions that this passage sets out to answer, not just by happenstance or circumstance, but in terms of 
Paul's first writing of this letter to this church. Paul set out to specifically answer those and other related questions as he put pen to paper and wrote this little letter to the Thessalonians. And the reason why he did that, boys and girls, is because there was a group of false teachers who had sort of infiltrated the church. And among the errors that they were promoting, these false teachers, was the error that those who have died in Christ and were no longer living on earth would somehow miss out on the triumph and glory of his return. And among other things, Paul says that's not the case. Here's how things are going to unfold. So tonight, as I mentioned, in anticipation of the Lord's Supper next Sunday, let's look at these verses. And as we do, let's be reminded, just like we're told in the Scriptures, think of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that whenever the, the Lord's Supper is administered and we partake together, we proclaim our Lord's death until He comes again. So even the Lord's Supper has that end times orientation and we anticipate while we eat and drink together that one day Jesus will come back for us. So you have the theme and points. You can see it there very simply. When Jesus comes back, there will be a great reunion. And in these verses, we learn that his return, and listen to the verbs, we learn that his return is certain. We learn that his return will be public. And we learn that his return gives us comfort. So as things open up, we learn in the first place that his return is certain, right? That's verses 13, 14, and 15. And, and of this very first point, congregation, that the return of Christ is certain, have no doubt about that. Even if it sometimes seems like pie in the sky or something that's never going to happen or that the church has been waiting 2,000 years to enjoy and to experience, it is certain Jesus himself promised to come back. In Acts chapter 1, the angels who witnessed his ascension told those who were watching that the same Jesus who has gone into heaven will come back one day. And maybe we could use an illustration from the realm of physics. What goes up must eventually come back down, right? So look at the verses here. Verse 13 Sets the context with the specific occasion at hand here in Thessalonica. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. And then in verse 14, the certainty of Christ's return is given just as much as his death and resurrection is a fact, so too is it that he will come back one day. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And then in verse 15, Paul essentially says, if you want to paraphrase it, he says, this isn't my opinion. He wants the church to know this is a word from God himself. This we declare to you by a word from the Lord. And we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So take this first point on the certainty of Jesus' return. And stand on that foundation, congregation. Take God's word at face value. Read it and hear it and believe it. The return of Christ will happen at the appointed time. And we look for that reason. For Jesus to come back for us all. Both the living and the dead. Both those who are alive 
at that time and those, as it were, who are sleeping in the grave. Because Jesus is a faithful Savior. And his certain coming is a sure hope to all of his people. On that day, as Paul describes things here, Jesus will not only come back with his people, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep, but Jesus will come back for his people as well, those who are alive and remain whenever that time might be. And so the whole church, militant and triumphant, the whole church awaits that great and glorious day of Christ's conquest as the coming king. And on the occasion of the Lord's Supper, where we eat bread and drink wine and lift up, to use the language of Psalm 116, that cup of salvation, we proclaim our Lord's death each time that happens as we anticipate his return. Not waiting idly, but waiting with eager anticipation and the certainty of God's promise coming to pass. So on the one hand, listen, everyone who believes in and belongs to Jesus has the promise of the fullness of forgiving grace and ought then by God's promise have the assurance of salvation as certainly as these elements are given and distributed and received. But on the other hand, hear this. Everyone who has not yet come to a real repentance and true faith in Christ are called in the preaching of God's word, for example, to come to Jesus in repentance and in faith in order to belong to him, body and soul, whether in life, in death, or in death, in order to be saved, to be blessed, and then to be ready for his return. Because if a person remains unbelieving on that day of Christ's return, it's too late at that point. There are no second chances. There are no more opportunities for salvation. But that is the day of judgment on the one hand and the day of salvation on the other hand. And just as surely, next week, Think of it like this, just as surely as you see and receive and taste the bread and the wine, those holy tokens in remembrance of Christ, just as surely as that happens, be reminded that he who loved you and gave himself up for you hasn't forgotten you. He's not going to leave you by yourself, but he remembers us. And he has promised at one point to come back for us. So next week, eat and drink very simply with a believing heart. Keep that gospel promise with you throughout the course of the week, even as you hear it tonight. And then go as the week unfolds, starting tomorrow morning, and look for the certainty of his return at the end of the age as you anticipate in that fellowship meal that Christ has instituted this for your good, for your strengthening, and for the praise of his name and the reminder of his return. So as we continue... We see not only that the return is certain, but it will be public as well. And that's what verses 16 and 17 teach us, don't they? And really, that the public nature of our Lord's return, that's, that's probably the, the most obvious detail about the passage. I mean, in these two verses, 16 and 17, it could be said that it's almost as if Paul goes out of his way, he goes to great lengths, so to speak, to make this point about the public nature of Jesus' return crystal clear for everyone to remember and understand. So maybe pause for a minute on that. Because undoubtedly some of you know that there are Christian people, dispensationalists, as they will call themselves, who, who understand this passage in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 to 18, 
to be teaching what they call the, the secret rapture, that millions of Christians are going to disappear from the earth at some point when Jesus comes halfway, and then it's going to kick off a, a period of seven-year tribulation and that sort of thing, at the end of which Jesus will return in that model. But I would suggest to you that the so-called secret rapture theory is the exact opposite of what the Apostle Paul describes here in verses 16 and 17. So sometimes I hear Reformed Christians say, well, we don't believe in the rapture. That's a dispensational thing. Well, we do believe in the rapture because Paul describes it here, particularly in verses 16 and 17. We just understand it differently than a secret event where Christian people disappear and are snatched away. The rapture of the church being caught up to meet the Lord in the clouds and to be reunited together as his people, that's the side A of which Jesus then returns, continues on his way to earth and sets up that day of judgment. So the rapture and the revelation of Christ to earth are just two aspects of one momentous event that will mark the end of this age and the start of the age to come. So look at verse 16. The Lord himself will descend from heaven. So that rapture and the revelation are two sides of the same coin with our Lord's coming. And look at verse 16 continues. He will do so with a cry of command. That's this loud battle shout that the conquering king makes for everyone to hear. He will do so with the voice of an archangel. That's the loud announcement that Jesus has returned for everyone to hear. He will do so with the trumpet of God. That sounds victory in Jesus for everyone to hear. And then look at verse 16, really the kicker for the whole thing of the public nature of this. And the dead in Christ will rise first. That's why verse 17 goes on then to describe those who are alive. We will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. I mean, this is a public thing. Paul, nobody's going to miss the rapture of the church and the revelation of Jesus Christ to earth. That's Paul's whole point. So the situation that Paul describes here will unfold, and it will be anything but secret. It will be public. No one will miss it. No one will be unaware. Jesus returns as conquering king, and the resurrection of the dead and the transformation of his people takes place in that moment. And of course, Paul doesn't mention it here, but the other side of the coin, like Daniel chapter 12, verse 2 talks about, there will be a resurrection of the unjust unto condemnation as well. So I would say this. It's unfortunate that this passage has been hijacked by the dispensationalist crowd. It does describe the rapture. All that means is it describes the catching up or the snatching away of Jesus' people at his return. Maybe just as an aside here, that, that phrase in verse 17, then we who are alive who are left will be caught up together with them in the cloud. That phrase, caught up, that word rapture in the English comes from the, the Latin version of the Bible, which uses the word raptio. That's where we get our word rapture. So the rapture as a doctrine is a biblical doctrine, and even that word coming from the Latin Vulgate is a biblical word. Our translation says, caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So on that day, congregation, we will always, like verse 17 says, we will always be with the Lord. That's why we sang from Psalm 23. Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Just think, when Jesus comes back, 
our redemption that we long to have completed will be finished. Glory will be our inheritance. Jesus will be with us and we will be with Jesus. And that reunion of Jesus with his people, that reunion will never break up. And you know why that is? It's because of what the Lord's Supper signifies and seals to us. Namely, that a full pardon for all of our many sins has been obtained for us by Jesus. That we are secure in Christ for all eternity and that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who believe in him. And so he will keep us safe now. He will keep us safe then. And he will keep us safe forever. So know that that is true, congregation. Believe God's gospel promise in true faith with a believing heart and then go. Take that with you in the week that lies ahead. Keep it in your mind. Keep it in your heart. Meditate on it throughout the course of the week that is now started. Keep it in your back pocket that you might draw encouragement from it and help it prepare you for the Lord's Supper on the coming Lord's Day next week. So as things come to a close, we want to learn that our Lord's return is not only certain, it it not only will be public, but our Lord's return gives us great comfort, doesn't it? That's verse 18. I would say that verse 18 is really the whole reason for the passage Paul driving towards it from the very beginning of verse 13, and that's where where he ends up. So keep this in mind. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. One important part of the comfort that this passage holds out for us is this reunion of all of God's people that's described and that I have captured in that sermon theme, right? There's a certainty, there's a publicity, and if I can say it like this, there's a fraternity that will take place and be connected together when Jesus returns. A fraternity of a heavenly family all gathered at the Lord, in the clouds, in the air. That meeting that Paul described for us previously. So always remember this. The thing we look for above all else is for Jesus to return. He is our hope. He is our heart's desire. He is the one we love. He is the one we look for. He's the one that we long to see and to be with. But I'll say it like this. The icing on the cake, the gravy on top of the mashed potato, the cherry that's on top of the sundae, the additional blessing that God promises when our blessed Savior is revealed and we are all brought to be with Him, is that there's a reunion of all of God's people who have believed in and who belong to Jesus Christ throughout the course of earth's history. All of us will be gathered together at His feet on that day. And and sometimes people ask, I've heard it over the years as a pastor in our circles, sometimes people say, do you think that we'll see our loved ones when Jesus returns, those who have died in Christ, do you think we'll see them when it's all said and done? Well, I would answer that question by saying yes. That's part of what this passage is driving at and would have us understand and believe. 
That's why Paul is writing to the Thessalonians. It's not just that your loved ones who have passed away in the Lord, it's not that they won't, it's not just that they won't miss on his coming, but we'll all be gathered together and you'll, you'll recognize them. And I would, I would argue this way. When Peter, James, and John, boys and girls, were on the Mount of Transfiguration, how they recognized Moses and Elijah, we're not told. Perhaps Jesus introduced everybody on that Mount of Transfiguration and all, all the names were put in place. But Moses and Elijah were still Moses and Elijah. Even though they were dead and gone and living in heaven at that point, their identity and personal distinctiveness from one person to the next didn't change and it wasn't erased. So here's the key. When that reunion of all of God's people happened, everybody from the Old Testament, whoever believed in the coming Messiah, everybody since Jesus has ascended into heaven and is looking to come back, who has believed that gospel promise, wherever they might have lived, whenever they might have believed, whatever their ethnicity or cultural background is, the common bond every believer has is having been joined to Jesus by faith, by God's grace, according to that gospel promise. So here's the key when that reunion takes place. The relationship that we have then, it will be different than the relationship that we have or that we had in this life. Then, our primary identity will be as God's people, as His children, as those redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Family. In him, not earthly distinctions, not earthly categories, but a heavenly home filled with heavenly citizens who are all united together as the people of the Lord. And you know what? That's far better and far greater and far sweeter than any earthly relationship of any sort could ever be. That day will be so much more than anything we've known along the course of these days here below. Because that day will bring us into the permanent state of a relationship that will be established and perfected forever. So remember that as you remember Christ. And as you remember Christ next Sunday, and as you eat and drink the bread and the wine in remembrance of Him, you will thereby once more proclaim his death until he returns. And may God grant all of those things to stay with each and every one of us. And may he be glorified and praised in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are so very thankful for your wonderful word. We pray that you would impress it upon us, make it strike, make it stick. And as we go into the week ahead, Lord, may we think through these things in anticipation of celebration. And for Jesus' sake, we ask it. We pray for the answer. Amen.